0: We're going into James chapter five, verse nineteen. All right? Isn't that amazing? It only took us thirty five sermons to get here, but we made it. Verse number nineteen of James chapter number five. We're gonna have a word of prayer to get started here, and then we're gonna see what the Lord would teach us today. Our gracious Lord. You indeed are worthy of all this and more. What a great thing you have done for us. That you, the God of the universe, should love us. And of all things, give your life for us. That we might be able to live with you forever. Lord, that love is astounding to us. What are we that you would even take notice? That you would even care But your scripture makes it abundantly clear that you have purchased us with your own blood. And for that we rejoice today. For we love this relationship that you have given to us. What a blessing, what a privilege it is to be called a child of God. What it is to be known to belong to you. And that this life is just part of the story. There's eternity yet before us where we're spending with you. And that's what a glorious thing that is, to see you face to face. In the meantime, Lord, we walk down here by faith. We've never seen you, but we love you. And we're learning day by day of what you've called us to do, what you've called us to be. You've been incredibly patient with us, but you've been very faithful and you have given to us your word to challenge us week after week and day after day and hour after hour to be everything you've designed us to be in Christ Jesus. And here we have another opportunity to sit together as the body of Christ and to learn from your beautiful book. Teach us, we pray, Lord, as we sit at your feet, that we might find another another cause to experience and worship to your name today. Work in our hearts. Change what needs to be changed. Strengthen what needs to be strengthened. Correct where you see fit. Encourage us, we pray. In all these things, make us more like Christ. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Ephesians, I mean James, chapter 5, verse 19. My brethren... That's our sermon today. Oh, I'll finish the verse. But that really is our sermon. If any among you, if any among you strays from the truth, and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. That is a loaded couple of verses. A very important Couple of verses, and those first two words. And you might have brethren there. You might have brothers there. If you have my brothers or my brethren or such, you're, you see exactly like the Greek does. It's two words, my brothers, and that's a very important statement to see before we going into all the other details. My brothers, my brothers. I'm going to start with this and make it uh, as straightforward as I can without too much dilly-dally around other things. You are here to make a difference. You are here to make a difference. Do not underestimate your value in this church body. All of us have something we must be doing. And in case you're wondering what that might be, James chapter 5, verse 19 might just be the application you've been looking for. I keep bringing up the context. I'm a firm believer in context. And I bring it up to you because we are not starting something new when we get to verse 19. We are applying what we have learned in this chapter. All right? It's very important that we put our pieces together here. I've told you for 35 sermons already that the key is living faith. We're examining what that is to be, and I hope by this point we would call ourselves further along the road than we were when we started in understanding what it is to live by faith. It is not easy. It's thoroughly challenging. It's stretching us beyond what we thought we could go or do but it's entirely necessary that we walk by faith. And especially in this context, remember, the person he addressed in the first couple of verses, the first six especially, was under a great deal of pressure. We would even call it persecution because of his his commitment to Christ at the end of verse number six that mentions the righteous man being put to death. Remember, as James taught us in this passage, after you see the problem of the first six verses, we see what it calls us to do. And we've all learned it and we've memorized it because you've heard it over and over again. But you know it's never going to change. Be patient. Be patient and strengthen your heart and don't complain. That's not over when our series is over. (laughs) That's what we're called to do. Especially, folks, when things are hard. And it's not easy being a Christian. And I'm going to venture to guess, it's not going to get easier to be a Christian. But remember this, all the way through verse 7 through 12, he kept reminding us, you know the Lord is near, the Lord is coming. And that's where our eyes should be anyway, right? Starting in verse 13, he says, Now, with all that, let's not forget we need to pray. We need to pray. It is possible, as I've given to you this context and all that we've been studying here, that under this kind of pressure, under persecution, under all these things that stretch a Christian far beyond what he thought he could, A brother and sister in Christ might not do too well under it. They may struggle. It's not uncommon for us to get weak. It's not uncommon for us to get tired or exhausted or to be strengthless in the midst of the battle. To begin to make bad choices, that's not uncommon. To do sinful actions, that's not uncommon. To speak sinful words, that's not uncommon. They have sinful attitudes. I would love to say that's very uncommon. But I don't think that's the case. I think as we go through tough times, as these people went through tough times, and you get tired, you start to react in ways that you normally would not have if you were thinking clearly, if you were, you know, spending your time strengthened in the Lord, keeping patient, not complaining. But the minute we start to let that down, guess what happens? We start to reflect the very thing we don't want to show. It's unfortunate, but I think those are possibilities. And I think that's what James is referring to. Because sometimes under pressure, a brother or sister may act that way. And they also may become physically ill because of it. We can put ourselves into all kinds of interesting things because of strain. The key to what I want to present to you today, starting with verse 14, where it says, Is anyone among you that he must call for the elders of the church? And they are to pray over him. You do not need to be alone in this. You do not need to be alone in this. As he's writing to this church, he says, call for the elders. You're having struggles. Call for the elders. They can see that your physical needs are being met. There's a reference to oil. We talked about that at the end of verse 14. And they are to see that your spiritual needs are met. They are to be praying for you. Verse 14, 15, and 16 all emphasize that strongly. Is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. Verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? Then he's called for the elders of the church. They are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick. And though the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. That is a picture of the struggling man without any strength needing the church body to help him. Verse 16, therefore confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another so that you may be healed. And then that statement we've been looking at for so long, the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. In other words, we have a duty to each other, don't we? A duty to each other. Here's our goal. In case you don't know what it is, and I think you do, but I'm going to say it out very clearly. Our goal is that we all mature to the fullness of the image of Christ. That's our goal. That's what we're aiming for. Alright? Ephesians chapter 4. Keep your bookmark here. Go to Ephesians 4 with me for a minute. It's not that far away. I, I camp on this verse a lot. I reference it a lot in my messages. Because I think from verse number 11, especially to verse number 16, it's talking about what we are here for and what we are to be doing. Chapter 4 of Ephesians starting verse 11 he gave some as apostles some as prophets some as evangelists some as pastors and teachers that's just for me a simplified version of this is he gave leaders in the church spiritual leaders in the church for what for the equipping of the saints that's my job it's to equip you what am i equipping you for for the work of service that's our job That's what we all do, the work of service. And what is the work of service all about? It's to the building up of the body of Christ. You are a carpenter in God's program. You're building. You're building each other. That's your job, to build up one another. You've been given tools to do it. Do you know that? He's equipped you with exactly what you need. Not one of you is exempt from it. Not one. If you're in the body of Christ, you've been given the tools to be a part of the building of that body. Okay? Keep going. When are we done? Verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. That is our goal. Are we there? No. So we're still needing to work. Because our goal is that every one of us mature to the full image of Christ. Every one of us. Every single believer in this room is to mature to the full image of Christ. And every believer in this room is to help them mature to the full image of Christ. Make sense? Alright, keep going. If we don't, what happens? Well, we become like children. And we're tossed about in every single direction. Look at verse 14. It says, every wave that comes, we go up and we go down. And we go up and we go down. And we go up and we go down. Does that picture your life at times? Yes. Did mine Monday when I was going through the hills of Kentucky. (laughs) Up and down and up and down and up and down and circle, circle, circle. That's what it felt like. But you know what? This is life. What moves you to make your decision? What pushes you into the corner? What makes you react? There's a lot of circumstances in life. There's a lot of events in life. There's a lot of things we wrestle with in life. It's not an easy thing. What is a Christian to be? No longer a child. You see it? No longer a child being shoved about by the waves and the winds and the doctrines and all the other things that come their way. People try to trick you. There's craftiness and deceitful scheming. We are not to be that way. No longer, he says in verse 14. No longer to be children. And so verse 15, we say, so we speak the truth in love. We are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. We cannot grow without you. That's the reality. I cannot grow in my Christian life and become more like Christ without you. Do you know that? I'm dependent on you to help me. You're dependent on me. You're dependent on the person sitting next to you, the brother or sister in Christ. We are here to help each other become what we're called to be. Okay. I had to go through all that with you this morning. Because maturity is vital for the church body. Maturity is vital. Vital It's the measure of the stature which belongs to Christ. It is our protection against deception. It is our cure for spiritual problems. Maturity is essential. And we are all to grow up. The whole body is to grow up. What would a church look like if it had that one goal? What would it look like for every member to be desirous to mature... To the image of Christ. How would a church act? How would a church think? What things would we do? This morning you saw the slide, the passage from Philippians 2. Make my joy complete, Paul said. Make my joy complete by being of the same mind. That's calling the church one mind. Being of the same love. United in spirit. Intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness. Empty conceit. That's immaturity. But with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Don't look at your own personal interests, but also on the interests of others and have an attitude which is like Christ, right? Like Christ. There it is again. It comes back to our one goal. We're to be like Christ. In what we do and in what we think and how we mature with one another, we're to be like Christ. All the way through. It's all about that. If you understand the biblical push from the epistles to the church, we have every individual in Christ is to become more and more like Christ and it's for the good of the whole body. Then you will understand that Christianity is not an individual sport. We are meant to strive together for this great goal of Christ likeness. Remember the old political cry for education? I say old, it was 2001. No child left behind. Remember? Big deal. Everything. Put lots of money into it and everything. I don't know if it's made any difference in our education sense. It's a good slogan. But I don't know what results we've seen from it. Now, I'm not here to talk political, but I do know that there are many things we call wishful thinking and we put a lot of effort into it, but the only thing is that things like that get replaced by the next guy who comes up with the next idea, and that's the new thing, and the old thing's gone. We've seen that for years and years and years, haven't we? The appeal to Christ-likeness for all of us is not wishful thinking. I want to underscore that this is not wishful thinking. This is God's program for the church, to be like Christ. Is he going to accomplish it? Absolutely he will. Would you like to be cooperative or fight him the whole way? I confess this, I, I do. It was a tough year, first grade. I was apparently having trouble. I don't know, I thought I was doing good. Teacher didn't think so. Whatever the reason was that day, she decided I need to just sit in the kindergarten class. I didn't want to go. I remember it to this day how I kicked and screamed and everything else all the way down that hallway. But she was going to get me there, and she did. That's all I remember of the first grade. (laughs) She was torturing me. I know it. It was torture. But I often think of how it must look to God the Father who's working in my life to make me like Christ, and I'm going kicking and screaming all the way down the hall. Now he's going to accomplish this, because when we see him, John says, We will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. I long for that day. But I don't want to be uncooperative in the process. And I don't want you to be either. Because that is what we're here for. It's not wishful thinking on God's side. And by the way, He's not going to replace it with a new program in ten years. There is no substitute for this. It's one plan that He has, and that's for all of us to be mature in Christ. All of us. Activity is not a substitute for maturity. Giving is not a substitute for maturity. Administration is not a substitute for maturity. Policies, programs, they're not substitutes for maturity. Our goal is not to make the church busy. It's to make the church like Christ. That's it. So what is the point? We are not alone On this quest for living faith, we are not alone. When we see a brother or a sister struggling, whose duty is it to help them? What's the first word of verse 19? My brothers. My brothers. He didn't say, my pastors, although pastors should be doing this, he didn't say, my elders. He didn't say, my elitely special Sunday school teachers. He said, my brothers. If you like sisters in that, go ahead. But it doesn't say that. It's just a big, broad picture of those who belong to the body of Christ. My brothers, if anyone is among you suffering, is anyone among you sick? Is anyone needing the elders to come in and pray with them? Is anyone struggling under this pressure and they're sick? Is there anybody out there who's without strength and he's committing sins? He's struggling. Pray for him. My brothers, do you not know the power of prayer? That's the point, isn't it? When he gets down to the end of it, he had to illustrate that, and he used Elijah. The power of prayer. I'm going to venture to guess you've never been in such a hard time as Elijah. Elijah, boy, what a life he had. We just had a glimpse of it for the number of weeks we went through. But this is what I found very interesting. Very interesting. Elijah, do you know why he was there for? It wasn't theatrics, folks. Yes, he did incredible things, didn't he? Fire falling down from heaven, consuming an offering that was not lit, covered with water. We know all those stories. We say, amazing. This guy prayed that it would not rain. It did not rain for three and a half years. He prayed that it would rain, and it poured down buckets. We read his story, and there's a lot more to his story, and we say, that's amazing. That's amazing. But... What we did not do is stop for a minute and listen to his prayer. In case you're wondering what it is, I'm just going to back up here to 1 Kings chapter 18. and I'm going to read this to you. And I want you to listen very carefully here. Because while we're going to 1 Kings chapter number 18, I'm going to have this happen here. Um, Dale, would you get Malachi... In your Bible, Dale. Malachi four verse six. And Tom, would you find us Luke chapter one, verse seventeen? I want you guys to see something here. I'm in 2 Samuel. That's not going to work. 1 Kings chapter 18. Look at this verse. This is Elijah's prayer. Verse 36. At that time of the offering of the evening offering, Elijah the prophet came near and said O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known to you that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that these people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their heart back again. End of prayer. Fire fell. Elijah prayed that the Lord would turn their hearts back. Dale, what does Malachi mean? Malachi gives a prophecy that Elijah's coming someday. His job is to change hearts. Father to the children, children to the father. Tom, what do you have there? Luke chapter 1. If you follow Elijah's Example, all the way through scripture, it keeps bringing up the same verse over and over and over again that he prayed that day. He says, Lord, you change hearts. Now, that's fascinating to me. Elijah could not make it rain if he wanted to. Because God is the only one who brings rain. He could not bring a drought. Only God brings a drought. And Elijah could not change a heart. As he said in his prayer, You, O God, are the one who changes the hearts. But Elijah all the way through was the instrument that God used to change a heart. And the people responded that day when the fire fell. Now, what is that to do with us? He gave us this illustration in James chapter 5. Of Elijah and his prayer life. And what was it in reference to? Our brother who has sinned. And what is our duty? To help him mature. And you say, but I can't do that. No, you can't. That's God's job to change a heart. But you're an instrument that God uses to do that job. You're an instrument that God uses to do that job. And I pray that our prayers would match God's will here. Because God wants His children to grow up to be like Christ. John himself, the apostle, says, I have no greater joy than to see my children walking in the truth. And you parents and grandparents know that verse, don't you? You desire that verse with all your heart. And you say, how can I make a difference to my kids and my grandkids? Especially if they claim to know Christ and they're not walking His way. Pray and be ready to be used as an instrument. If that's God's plan, He will use you. If He uses somebody else, He will do that. But pray because that person needs to be mature in Christ. That is your brother. And yes, you are responsible to them. You are to pray. Pray. And Elijah is our excellent example of this. In turning hearts. Not theatrics, folks. In turning hearts. In turning hearts. He was a man like us, we read in verse 17. He was a man like us. And yes, he knew how to pray. He prayed by God's will. He prayed according to God's will. He prayed with endurance. He prayed with persistence. He prayed with passion. We've seen all that. And in this great context, we have a brother who is suffering in sin. What is our job? First, I would say, we need to pray. We need to pray. Because anything we do of our own is not going to make a difference. What did Christ say? Apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. It's a struggle, I know, because we've been there. We've struggled all along. We've seen spiritual issues. We've seen those things that we might symbolize as a drought in somebody's life. We say something's wrong here. We see it cripples them in their life. We go into this context, we see believers who are weak, and immature, and sick, and they can't go on any further. I'm going to read it to you like I did quite a few weeks ago, and take out verse 17 and 18. That's the prayer passage of Elijah. And I'm going to read it to you from 14 through 20, without those two verses, so you see the context. Is anyone among you sick? He must call for the elders of the church. They are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way or save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. That's the context. And right in the middle of it is my brothers. My brothers. Nothing might be harder than restoring a brother or sister in spiritual things. That's a hard task. But nothing can be done without living faith. Do you know that? Nothing can be done without fervent prayer. The matter is spiritual in nature. And it calls for spiritual actions. And the Lord made that clear, as I said, apart from Him, we can do nothing. I just make a simple point. As brothers and sisters in Christ, we owe each other. Owe it. As our mutual goal to become like Christ. I need to become like Christ for your sake. I'm supposed to set an example, right? I need to do that for your sake. You need to do that for my sake. You need to do that for this body, and I need to do this for this body. We owe it to one another that we become mature like Christ. I become like Christ. You become like Christ. We strive together in that goal. No believer is to be left behind. None. That's not easy. (laughs) It's not easy growing up to be like Christ because everything within our nature fights against that, doesn't it? It's especially hard on Mondays. I don't know why Mondays are so hard. This is my day off it should be the easiest day of the week. Mondays are tough. It's not easy helping each other grow to be like Christ. That takes commitment. That takes time. That takes words. That takes effort. That takes attitude. All of that in joined together to see that that brother or that sister is growing to be like Christ. You know what? If you had one person to do that with, that's a full-time job for your entire life. But you've got a hundred or so here. Think you're going to be busy? That's a lot of work. But it's what we're called to do. It's what we're called to do. The Bible gives us examples that this is quite difficult. 1 Corinthians 5 is a terrible chapter. I, I say that that way. I don't mind reading it, it's God's Word. But, it's, but the situation is rotten to the core. A sinful brother. He's turned over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit might be saved. Wow, is that a tough passage. You know what? Apparently it worked. Because in Second Corinthians, they, they did it so hard that suddenly Paul's calling them back. Say, okay, okay, he repented, now go restore the guy. It's as if they were told, throw him out of the church, and they threw him in four states away. Said, now, don't get him back. He's right with me now. That worked, but boy, was that tough. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 2 Thessalonians 3, there's two passages there. That you are, as brethren, to admonish the unruly, to encourage the faint-hearted, to help the weak... And to be patient with everyone. Woo! That's First Thessalonians 5.14. Then he says again, Second Thessalonians 3.6. Now I, we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from every brother who leads an unruly life. And not according to tradition that you receive from us. And if anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of that person. Do not associate with him so that he will be put to shame. Yet do not regard him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. I venture to say that's a hard thing. In the book of Jude, it says in verse 20 through 23, But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, Keep yourself in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ for eternal life. You say, yes, yes, yes. Have mercy on some. Oh. They're doubting. Save others. Snatching them out of the fire. And on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. It's not easy. But it is necessary. The goal? That they become mature like Christ. This is not your pastor's imagination at work. That's what we're aiming for. Romans chapter eight twenty eight. We know that God causes all things to work together. You like that verse? It's helpful. It encourages us when things are not working right to say God is in charge. And he causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. That's a cool word. He predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. God is at work. Sometimes you step back and say, I don't see it. I don't see it in that sister. I don't see it in that brother. How do I know God's at work? God is at work. If they belong to him, God's at work. That's the promise of the text. I have to pray according to that. Even when I don't see what the answers are, I have to say, yes, Lord, that's what you said. Because Christ is going to be the firstborn among all the brethren. That ought to be our goal, too. So here in our context, we've touched on the two words. You got it? When it says, my brethren, suddenly say, that's me. What am I to be doing here? What am I called to do in this context? Pray. That's the first thing, because the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man can avail much. Don't ever forget that. So, whatever you're called to do, pray by God's will, pray with endurance, pray with persistence, pray with passion. If anyone is out there straying from the truth, we've got a duty. He's addressing the brothers. Not just the elders, not just the pastors. He's talking to a whole body who should be concerned for a whole body. Okay. I set before you a singular purpose. I've got two pages left, but I'm out of time. You get that next week. I think I made the point. Maybe? Okay. Okay. Now let's pray about this. Because suddenly it gets personal. Heavenly Father, we see the two words in front of us today, my brethren, and we stand right there in that spot. How can we excuse ourselves from this great work? How can we stand up and say, that's for everybody but me? We wouldn't say that about salvation. We relish your mercy. We love your patience. We we just gobble up your grace. And yet, when this passage reaches a place like this, it's time for us to turn around and extend that to a brother until we're all mature in the image of Christ. And I pray, Lord, that as the duty is before us, we will not also... Go along without knowing the delight. The delight it is to walk with Jesus. To realize it's not our strength, it's not our wisdom, it's not our credible abilities or our fancy words that changes life. It's God's work that changes the heart. And we're happily, I hope happily, enjoying the, pro- the program where we are your instrument. To do what you would see fit to change a life forever. Give us this perspective, we pray, Lord, as we seek to mature in Christ. May we see it for the good of the church. We pray this way today. And may we not forget what we heard. In Jesus' name, amen.